Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Countryside programme here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermud and myself, Simon Clark, And an excellent week for the Isle of Man Creameries, Kiri. It's been a wonderful week for them. First winning the company of the year and then also finding out the news they have actually won two prizes in the World Cheese Competitions. It's just incredible. They're going from strength to strength. And you caught up with um, Finlay McLeod and Tim Sayers um, from the Creamery. And, of course, absolutely, you could hear, uh, you can hear when you listen, the, the enthusiasm and the, and the delight and, you know, that they're coming away with these prizes and being recognised so much worldwide. Oh, yeah, it's gone. It's certainly gone global. And, and they're hungry. They, they want to get out there and sell the products coming from such a small little place like the Isle of Man. You know, it's, it's really, really good. Yeah, and of course the the milk side of it, the the cheese that they're doing, the creams that they're doing as well, and a great reputation that they're they're making for themselves. They certainly are, and also having the new website, it's it's reaching out to more people, and um, you're finding the younger people will prefer to use the internet, and it's younger folk that are coming on board to buy these products too. Oh, people can't even walk to a shop twenty yards <laughs> now; they <laughs> click a button and have it delivered, don't they? <laughs> Uh, well, I caught up with Johnny Corkish. Um, you heard me talking to him on last week's programme, but what a character he is. And I had a long conversation with him uh, down at the Morton Hall in Castletown about uh, how he grew up because he was involved in the Chrysanthemum Society show there. But uh, I managed to speak to him about his days farming because he, he, mo- most of his was, was showing vegetables and things at the show, which he took so much pride in. But fitting that all in with a massive, busy schedule on the farms when they were young, Oh. Uh, you know, just working all sorts of hours for a few quid here and there. But uh, as he says, you know, he would never have changed it and sort of got his opinion about how things were, how difficult farming is today compared <laughs> to what it is. So this is this week's Countryside. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. <laughs> Well, great news, Kiri, for the Isle of Man Creamery, uh, coming away with the Company of the Year at the Isle of Man Newspaper Awards for Excellence uh, the other night, wasn't it? It was super. What an achievement. A lot of hard work goes in behind the scenes to, you know, get it from the farm to the factory and then put it out in these wonderful products. And uh, it seemed to gel in really well as a company and, and really going forward. Yeah, you went along to the creamery, I think. I did. I called in the very next day to see how they were feeling, and sure enough, they're absolutely delighted. I caught up with Finlay McLeod, the managing director, and also Tim Sayers to see what they had to say about it all. Well, the highlight, obviously, for us was winning the company of the year, which we were uh, absolutely delighted about. It's uh, a great credit to our uh, our staff here at the creamery, but also to the, the dairy farmers on the Isle of Man. We like to think that it's, it's one great big team, and uh, I think in the, certainly in the last few years, it's worked very well together uh, in that way. You're up against it. There was some stiff competition. I mean, even before you see this, the finalists, if you think about the type of companies on the Isle of Man and the innovative work that's done on the Isle of Man in other sectors, other non-food sectors, it's absolutely fantastic that a more traditional manufacturer and yeah. farming based business has actually won this award and as I said before fantastic credit to the dairy farmers on the island and to our team here at the creamery. But it's not just this award you've been doing very very well this year you know it's a lot of hard work has gone into it but more recent awards as well? It's been a real week for it this week because we've just found out that we won two awards at the World Cheese Awards. We've won a silver for our Red Leicester 
which was in a category for what they call traditional territorials, and won a bronze award in the blended cheese award category, and that was for our mature cheddar with a hint of chilli. So to find that out this morning, after <laughs> last night winning a, an award here, it really rounded off a fantastic year for us. But also the local people, they can buy this produce now you've launched a, a new website. Yes, the website has really modernised our, our presence on the internet and we're really delighted at the response uh, that we've had on it. I think the most dramatic change is the fact that people can now start ordering milk deliveries online from us. So they don't have to necessarily phone up and you know, place their order that way. They can actually get onto the website and start their deliveries automatically. It makes it really, really easy for people. Absolutely delighted that within three weeks we've had 92 customers do exactly just that. Tim says you've been in charge of doing the website and, and keeping up to speed but there's other products other than the cheese, there's, there's butter and such like as well that can be ordered? Yeah absolutely, our butter's also done really well this year, we've had several awards, two for whey butter being best in show at the uh, Global Cheese Awards as well as best packaged butter so that was a really nice one to get for our whey butter which is quite unique really. We've also had a great taste award for our dairy salted butter which is our most widely available butter on the island. So it's good to get recognised in other categories other than just the cheesemakers here. You've been out to stateside to Atlanta? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, Obviously, the, the Isle of Man is our key area, our key market that we look after. But, you know, we've, we're producing a lot of milk through the dairy farmers, which is great. We've got growth this year in that area. So we need to find export markets as well. Mm-hmm. The US over the last few years has really developed strongly for us as a business. And um, so we, we, you know, we've got quite a lot of new business that's out there and uh, the consumers just love it. So I got to uh, go out to work with our biggest customer, which is a supermarket called Publix, based in the south and east uh, of the USA. I was basically uh, representing our business at the Atlanta Cheese Fest on the Publix stand, talking to their customers and consumers. So it was a really interesting uh, event to go to and very high profile for us as a business. But also, it's not just America, it's Spain as well. It's totally gone global. Yeah, sure. I mean, we're, uh, we're always looking for the next new market, to be honest. We're doing well in Canada as well. So we have President's Choice Isle of Man Vintage, which is their premium line in Loblaws, the biggest supermarket in Canada. We've grown a bit more in the Middle East this year with a new listing in Qatar. And as you say, Spain also, we've just grown with another distributor in Spain as well. So it's all looking positive. And the great thing is that the overseas market, people seem to really embrace the cheese that's made on the Isle of Man. Anything new for the future? Any plans? Yes, we're very excited that we're going to be launching a spreadable butter in the new year. We've been working on on a, a recipe specifically for the local market. So we're hoping to get that out into local stores probably about February time next year. As I said, we're developing the recipe. We've already developed the packaging design and I think it will just really reflect a great quality product and it will build on the reputation that we seem to be gaining on the butter already. The farmers, they seem to be quite happy at the minute with the prices that they're fetching for the milk. Well, hopefully they are. And I think it's probably got to be looked at in the the context of prices overall in the British Isles. Uh, I think nobody could pick up a newspaper or watch watch the news over the course of the last year without realising what a real challenge the dairy industry has faced in the British Isles. And we've managed Touchwood with the support of local consumers 
and by going out to various markets around the world, literally, mm -hmm. and trying to, to seek out the niche markets that will pay a little bit more for their cheese and appreciate a really good quality product with a provenance and with a great story behind yeah, it, yeah. then, then we've, we've managed to trade at a level that has allowed us to give the farmers a much better price here than most farmers are experiencing in the, the UK and in Ireland as well. Yeah. So we're very pleased with that because that really is our focus as a business. I think every, if you asked any member of staff at the creamery you know, what, what the main purpose of the, the business is, they know that it's to give a decent price to Isle of Man dairy farmers. That was Finlay McLeod, Managing Director of Isle of Man Creameries, and also Tim Sayers, the Sales Manager. Spreadable butter, hey? Hey, you would have thought it. He kept that under his <laughs> sleeve till the end, didn't he? <laughs> he certainly did, but they're really striving forward to get all the products up to date, modern and out there, and, and the new website as well certainly helping the sales. A real good team effort. Yeah, but uh, as, you, as you heard there, that the... the the reception that the Manx cheese is getting around the world, not just UK and, and around the, the Isles around here, is it? It's phenomenal. It has really gone global and, and they're driving forward and the, a good sales team behind them as well is, is certainly pushing it out there and it's getting great recognition. It's, What's your favourite cheese? Oh, I'm very, very boring. Just the mild Mild, mild cheddar. cheddar. Oh, <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, last week I spoke to Johnny Corkish at the Isle of Man Chrysanthemum Awards down at the Morton Hall in Castletown. Well, I had a very long conversation with him afterwards and talked about his days growing up on the Manx farms as a young lad and comparing it to the modern-day farming. From day one, right? <laughs> yes, I was born in Balaquini, 1934. I'm sure as soon as I could walk and follow the old man round, I was, of course, at that time, we worked for Kelly's and the, at the Balqueen Hotel. This little farm supplied the veg and one thing and another, and the milk. Of course, there was a big lump of market garden, like, and he was in there working, and I was with him. Was it a difficult farm, Balqueen? Oh, no, no. It was a lovely little farm. It was only about 60 acres. And funnily enough, later on, that's William Kelly that has got to do with it now. It was his grandfather my father worked for, and in the 60s, I worked for William's father, so it kind of turned a circle. In the meantime, I'd, when I left school, I worked in Balakilia, which is now nearly all under houses for Cormishes in Balakilia. I spent my childhood there, and I used to be sent here to Castledown to the mill many a time with with a horse and cart with half a dozen sacks of oats to get crushed. And we are maybe 10, 12 year old, 10, 11 year old. Just imagine today, well, you wouldn't take a horse and cart on the road today, and you, but there was, there was no traffic. And head down there, she used to know where she was going, especially when you turned for home. Then, of course, when I left school, I went in full time. <laughs> I always remember I was getting 30 bob a week during the summer holidays and all. And then when I left school, I went in full time. My wages dropped down to a pound. Never. <laughs> Well, I had to pay a stamp then, you see. Oh, right. <laughs> and, of course, you got your breakfast, dinner and tea, and, which I got while I was only a nipper-like. But 
once I left school and was on the official payroll, that was the wages it was, a, a pound, and that was for a 56-hour week. Yes, it wasn't, wasn't, doesn't seem much, does it? I mean, what was your favourite bit of the farm and work? Oh. Or what didn't you like? I wasn't a great man with the cows. I tolerated them, but I wasn't a cowman by any means. Once I graduated, I was able to drive the tractor, which I was doing that from 12-year-old to heroin and one thing and another with old Fordson. What, what was the conversion like from the horse to the tractor? Obviously, you remember that too, oh, did you? well, yes. Well, you see, the, all my... As long as I can remember, there was a tractor in Balakilia. She, I think the first one was a 1938 Fordson. Of course, I was only... At that time, I was only young and, and came along with the tractor. So there was always... A bit of change there all along, but uh, it was a pleasure to see a good man with a pair of horses ploughing. I done a little bit with the horses, but I never done any ploughing. I done a bit of harrowing and raking hay and things of the sort. But uh, I leading the horse as a young fellow in the tumbling rake, and that's a job. Well, I've been trying to coax Peter up at Craigneesh to get a tumbling rake rigged up. He's always been a bit afraid of it. They looked dangerous, but there was nothing wrong with the tumbling rake once you learned to use it. In the latter end, I was able to use the tumbling rake myself. Like I never seen anybody actually using the rake and driving the horse and all. If you're doing that, you had to have reins, and the reins were very apt to get caught up in a tumbling rake. So it was always a nipper leading the horse, but of course, the days of raking hay and rucking and one thing or another, they're well and truly gone now. Even the days of small square bales is gone now, let alone rucking it loose. I was just thinking of you taking the sacks of corn down to the mill. You think now of the 20 kil- or 40 or 50 pound weight that the people aren't allowed to carry? Oh, well... <laughs> what was in the in the barley and corn sacks? Well, there'd be 100 weight and a half at that time. Well, I've got a place there on the, on the side of my leg where I fell, fertilizers used to come in 16 stone bags, 200 weight. And I was 15, helping to unload Colton Cowley's lorry, hobnail boots, cobble floor in the stable, and I slipped on the cobbles. Down I went, and I must have cracked, just caught a high cobble on that bone that just below my knee, and got up. I, I, I remember I was pinned to the ground with a bag on my back, and John Castain, the lorry driver, came in, and I can hear him saying to this day, what are you doing down there, boy? <laughs> and he just stooped down and he picked 200 weight off, off me, just as though it was a bag of chaff. And then you know, I got up and, oh, hubble, there's no, no such thing as run industrial injuries or anything like that. You got up and carried on again. But this last 20 years or so since the rheumatism is in it and it bothers me a bit, did you stick with farm until till you retired? Oh, no, not quite. I I worked worked in Balakilia the first two years I left school. And then Henry Castain in Moorhouse Farm flashed pound notes in front of my eyes. So of course I went to work there. We lived on Salt Heron all the winter. That was be fifty two and fifty three and I've never touched a salt heron since and I never will. <laughs> I'd be desperate hungry to eat a salt heron. So uh, Robbie Cool's father, Bella Cragen, was advertising for a man and I went there and I'd done 13 years with them and my father at that time had been gravedigger in Russian church so he had retired 
and the chap that was took over from him, he didn't last awful long, and he was packing up, and they approached me, and I was, yes, I was going to take it, because farm wages by that time was £7 a week. This would be in the early 60s, £7 a week, and I was married in a cottage at that time, and uh, I had the cottage along with that £7, and a pint of milk a day, and spuds and one thing and another, whatever we grew on the place. But anyhow, the boss heard that I'd taken the job as grave digger, and on the Friday, he sent the son, Robert, out with uh, my wages and insurance card. So I said, well, and I hadn't given the notice in, because we had the mill sitting in the hackett, and with those three or four days thrashing to do, and I wasn't going to walk out on them and all the thrashing what I'm doing. So anyhow, I said, what's this for? Oh, he said, we heard you're starting at the church on Monday. Yes, I said, I've been offered the job, but I said, I haven't taken it. But I said, I'll take my card if that's the case. I said, after 13 years. So I went home and I threw the wage packet on the table. I said to the wife, well, that's the last she'll get from Balakraken. So she goes off down the road to the grocery shop to get a few odds and ends and meets one of the lads working in the gas works. And she told him. The next thing I knew, I had the manager of the gas works at the door. He said, I believe you're out of work. Well, I said, I am, temporarily. But, uh, well, he said, can you start with us on Monday? Kind of took me back a bit. Well, I said, what's the pay? Well, he said, Stoke, and he said, it's £15 a week on day shift and £17 a week on night shift. Oh, I said, I'll be in on Monday morning. <laughs> it's a bit of a jump from seven. It certainly was a jump. But I'll tell you this, i done three months there. must have been coming on the springtime anyway and the tractors and things was working over field, on the field of a night and I was all right up till five o'clock till the other men were home and after that the shifts work two to ten ten to six six to two well from five o'clock to ten o'clock of a night in the springtime and there wasn't an awful lot of work to do because it was early spring in the, in the main part of the summer there was uh, extra fires on. You had eight fires to do in an eight-hour shift. Well, there was about 500 bit of coal when it each retort like. And uh, it was an art, that too. So, as a man that had been there 40 years taught me to stoke. Right. I, I know there was an art, in it, but I learned to stoke. There'd be a tu- Stuart inquiry if she went out, wouldn't there? Oh, <laughs> I don't think it would go out. It was the fact that if you piled too much coal in at the back, and nothing in the middle and a big heap at the front. It had to go in even about two and a half inches deep all the way. And your tart would be six, seven foot long, maybe eight feet long, I think. And uh, to make gas, you had to, it had to be stroke right. But anyhow, but I lasted there about four months. The late Walter Kelly, he was a director of the gas company. And the chap that was doing his tractor work, he had to go into hospital for an operation for gallstones. And poor Arthur, he was a bit like myself. He didn't like hospital, so he had the operation. He wanted to go home. He signed himself out the next day. He went home and took pneumonia. It was springtime, and uh, Mr. Kelly said to me, he said, because still a turnip ground wanted ploughing and the corn wanted sowing. So 
he asked me to see would I come between shifts, like, which I did. Well, poor Arthur never got over it, he died. So consequently, I packed the gas works up and went back to the farm. But I went back down to £12 a week. But I was happier, much happier. Plus the fact that when I started in the gas works, I had a 36-inch waist. And when I came out, a 30 trousers wouldn't stay on me. Oh, they dropped down over my hips. <laughs> Kept you fit then. <laughs> oh, oh, I lost lots of sweat. But had farming changed in that time you were on the gas? Well, I wasn't on the gas that long. No. It was only only about six months. Mm. So it didn't change. hadn't changed really in that time. But it was certainly changing because up until the time I left Balacraggan, we were still cutting with the binder. And I was doing the stacking. And... Uh, I always laid my stack bottoms out 10 yards by 4 and for the time I got the easing I'd be 6 yards wide oh, and I'd have about 20, 20 loads of corn into a stack and we always reckon on about 25, depending on the length of the straw, but you'd have 18 to 20 loads would make a stack. But, and they always used, fellas was coming and saying to me, I don't know how the hell your stacks are dry, because I went out. But once I got the ears and I went in, I went in over a foot every time. Some fellas would just come in inch and finish up sky high. Like, but my stacks were never tall. I brought them in quick and they were thatched and I never had a wet stack. Ernie Kelly, uh, Ballaminic, used to come to do the thrashing in those days. And Ernie used to say to me, it's a pleasure to set a mill alongside of your stacks, he said. He said, there's no wet sheaves, he said, and there's a good four or five hours thrashing in every one. Good days them, though. Oh, aye. Yeah. But did, did, did you go back to the farm? Did that sort of learn you about growing the vegetables yourself? And things? Well, well, of course, you see, every farm at that time grew a few spuds, and of course, turnips was the main winter feed. I mean, in Balacraggan we were growing 20 acres of turnips every year. They all had to be thinned and all docked. Even as a young fellow in Balacraggan, turnips all went through the cutter there. And it used to take a cartload of turnips a feed. That was 14 cartloads of turnips a week going in and going through the cutter. They all fed the cattle then. But in Balacraggan we never put, never cut them. The cows got them whole. Like, and of course the sheep. Even sheep were always just put out on the field loose, as they are today. Them that grow a few turnips, they're getting to be a thing of the past. Mm, yeah. But when you look at it now, I mean, everything's done by the tractor seat oh, now, isn't it? certainly it is. All the young fellas don't know what, what work is today. I think the heaviest job today is any fellow clipping sheep. I'm afraid they can't mechanise that much more. But even saying that again, when we were clipping, especially with old hands, she had one fella turning the handle. That was a job that I detested as a young fella. The fella on the clipper would be saying, more speed. <laughs> and of course, the time you'd run out a dozen, got a dozen sheep clipped your arm, was getting a bit tired, you'd be changing from your right hand to your left hand. And you wouldn't dare stop? You wouldn't dare stop, no, no, no. oh no, no. But all in all, mighty memories though from oh, them days. Oh yes. Oh, I don't. Low times and I, high times, I suppose. I don't regret one day of my life on the farms. As a young fella, turning here, it was all turned to the pitchfork. Maybe five or six of us. Were you right hand at the bottom, man? No, left hand. Oh, right. Left, left hand down. Oh. Funny enough, I was looking at a photograph of them thrashing in Balakilia Hackett. Either the late 30s or the early 40s, 
and there was two men on the stack and they were both right hand down on, on pitch box and it's, it's not a thing, the majority of fellows are left hand down and I've always heard it said that in the quarries a fellow that was right hand down was worth a penny a day more than the left hand when they were striking. I am a right hand down myself aye. and the same on the coal boats there, aye, can, aye. you could get the side East cleaned side that, oh that's good one. Yeah, yes, it's, uh, I've always heard it said that, that in the quarry it was worth a penny a day more. And I suppose a penny in those days, because it wasn't a lot, but saying that, I remember the old man sending me, when I, before I ever started school, up to the shop at the corner to get him a packet of woodbines. I'd get a shilling, and he would say, you can spend a penny of the change, get a ligorous pipe. <laughs> Kept you going for the day, though. <laughs> well, fascinating talk yes, to you, John, yeah. and sharing these memories with you today. Right, all right, thank you. Well, Johnny Corkish from the south of the Isle of Man there, and well edited as well, <laughs> because uh, he certainly is one of them Manx characters that's, uh, that's left, Kerry, and a lot of tales there about, you know, how things were and how how he was moving from one place to another and the difference that, you know, people were getting paid in different jobs, you know, even back then was just uh, just a massive gap. It certainly is, and it's such great memories. And you know, to have it recorded and put down, and for future generations to believe how hard things were as a child growing up on a farm back then, and how different it is now, and how lucky we are. And you know, the, the world wide web has brought everything to our fingertips, and it's certainly different for him when he was a young fella. Yeah, not uh, do you still get the sales reps coming around the farms though? Not quite as much, mm. it's, it's slackened off just recently, but uh, you get an odd few. But I suppose uh, in them days, it, they relied on that, didn't they? And you had to see have a couple of fellas around the farm before you got the right price. But now you <laughs> clicks of buttons and it's all doesn't all take a day there. to get something. Which is, it's sad in a way, isn't it? When you think of all the, the merchants that used to be around the island. It when I was a kid, you know, the yolks well, you and the spuds would go to another and the fertilizer from another. So it was a sort of, I think, a sort of gentleman's agreement. But now I think it's a bit more bit more cut through, I suppose, to survive, is. doesn't it? And before we go, just a reminder, the Prime Stock Show is Monday the 28th at Nokalo Farm, Patrick, at 7.30. All welcome to come along and have a look at the livestock. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. There we are. Cheese, milk, cream, to top it off. and also johnny corkish as well uh telling us about uh, his days on the farm and years gone by and his uh reminiscence of of showing vegetables for for many many years at the uh, the shows around the isle of man and long may it continue he says oh certainly it's so different from modern day farming now compared to back then isn't it yes and a big well done and pat on the back once again uh, to the staff at the Isle of Man Creameries but that's it for Countryside Kerry and myself will be back the same time next week so until then from me Simon Clark and me Kerry Coomard see you then ta-da bye bye don't sit in the slow lane join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all new super fast plus broadband Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.